0: Welcome to the Weekly Podcast. Thanks for listening. Um, reach out to us. Let us know how we're doing. You can do it on Instagram at TheWeeklyPodcast, Weekly Podcast, D U H W E E K L Y P O D C A S T, or on Twitter at TheWeeklyPodcast, Weekly Podcast. Or you can send us an email at theweeklypodcast at gmail.com. Give us a five-star review. Give us a rating. Um, every rating, we want to give you a personal shout-out on the next episode. Um, we also want to look at, here in the future, we're going to look at having some extra content for Patreon and Stitcher Premium. Uh, if you're looking to maybe help produce the show where it is a one-man show, look in the show notes, and you can link, uh, click the link for... Uh, PayPal, or you can click the link for Stitcher, I'm sorry, Anchor Support, and that'll take you to the link, and everyone that makes any donation, whether it be a dollar, whatever it may be, will help produce the show, and will be named as producers on the next episode. Um, So just give us some feedback. We're looking to try to get um, good reviews, obviously, and if you don't feel like that uh, you're at a point where you can give us a good review, then uh, give us a good review anyway. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to kill you. Please, help us out. Well, we're hoping to get better as we go along, and I promise you we're trying. But it is a slow process, and I hope that as long as I keep plugging away at it, that it will get better and uh, we can reach more people and have a bigger platform. And one day... My name will be up there with others in the podcasting world, and maybe I'll be on Oxygen. Not like as a victim of one of the shows, but maybe a host of some kind. But anyway, go to show notes, give us a five-star review, reach us to us on Instagram, Twitter, give us an email, I'd like to hear something back from somebody. Um... This episode here has shaken me basically to my core, um, and I can start to read some on it and break down and want to cry, and within an instant, it turns right into full-blown anger. Uh, this show's about a case that will break your heart. You'll find yourself wondering why. You'll ask yourself, I mean, you, your mind will not be able to comprehend what I'm about to tell you you will not believe what I'm about to tell you. So, a little bit of listener discretion advised. There might be a little bit more profanity in this one because it makes me angry. But, it is a very, very, very emotional, terrible, horrible, terrible crime. So like I said, you cannot and maybe you will not believe what I'm about to tell you. This is the weekly podcast.
1: Mother's boyfriend, Isoro Aguirre is on trial for his murder is portrayed initially is that these are just two monsters in this one isolated incident. But as you go through the trial, you realize that it's much more complicated than that. People here want, they want to know the truth. They want to know what actually happened. And they want him to admit what he did. Okay. background is this other person, Pearl Fernandez. What's her role in all of this? I'm gonna show you what's previously
0: been Marcus People's Notebook 1, page 3. And that picture. I go through this case here, please bear with me, I have researched it, Um, I have put together what I think would make, you know, we don't want to try to drag something out to where you get bored with listening to it, so I've tried to put it into a a one episode situation. Um, Born on February the 21st, 2005. Gabriel Fernandez, born to Pearl Fernandez and Arnold Contreras. At birth, he was given to his uncle and his partner, who are uncles, Michael Carranza. And this man is a wonderful human being. He takes Gabriel and raises him and loves him just as if he were his own biological son. So, from birth to four years old, his Uncle Michael raises him. He has a wonderful, stable, fun, loving, amazing life. He can be a boy. He can enjoy life. Plays. Has friends. Just a normal boy. Then sometime at the age of four, he goes to live with the maternal grandparents, Sandra and Robert Fernandez. These are amazing, amazing people. They raise him. They love him. And he has... Still, just a a wonderful, normal, amazing life. Now, his mother, Pearl Fernandez, in the meantime, has two other children. So, Gabriel has two siblings, Ezekiel and Virginia. They're in the custody of their mother, Pearl Fernandez. Now, I'm going to give you the basis of who is who, but really, I don't want to speak her name off my lips. Now I will have to say it to give it a but it irritates me to even say it. But anyway, Pearl Fernandez there is statements made like in her past that she has had issues with certain members of family had had maybe raped her, uh she had a low IQ, different things I've read. But with that being said, <clears throat> what ends up happening in this case? It doesn't matter, it just doesn't matter. But I want to give you the facts of what is out there. Now, Pearl had a boyfriend, and I may butcher the hell out of this name, but Azario Aguan, Anyway, Azario, we'll refer to him as b- boyfriend, and Pearl Fernandez will be mom. She doesn't deserve that title, but that's what. We'll, if I if you hear me say that's who I'm talking to. Now, sometime around, when Gabriel's around seven years old, his mother starts to try to seek custody of him because of uh, some type of welfare check that Gabriel receives from the government. Now... At some point in October 2012, the mother goes to the grandparents and basically takes Gabriel. And she's got him in her custody, but doesn't have custody. But somewhere over the next few months, custody is returned to the mother. Now, under normal circumstances, I would say that this is a good thing. But hindsight's always 20, 20 But in this situation, the mother has had no, she, she has not had custody of this child at all. The uncle, the grandparents have raised him from birth until now. So, to me, her word and what she has to say should have no, she should have no, <clears throat> no basis, no ground, her words should mean nothing. They should prove whatever she's saying. So instead of doing that, a custody is awarded back to the mother. So it would be different if she had had custody, maybe had made some mistakes, lost custody, wanted custody back. That's different. She has never had custody of this child. But now the state of California gives the mother custody. Now, what makes this story so terrible? Well, there's several things, but here's the thing. Basically, within seven months of Gabriel, so Gabriel goes from the first seven years of his life is, is is a good, decent life, within seven months of being in his mother's custody, he is dead. So in May... The 22nd of 2013, a 911 call is made. First responders, firefighters, EMS all arrive at this, the apartment of Pearl Fernandez and her boyfriend, Sario. And what they find there is something that they can't even put into words. They've seen some of the most tragic and terrible and heinous things throughout their career. But what they see walk into this apartment with this poor eight year old boy stops the most seasoned first responder, law enforcement, firefighter in their steps. On the 911 call it is stated that the boy was wrestling around with his sibling. The boy had slipped and fell in the bathtub. The boy had slipped and fell, hit his head on the dresser. EMS gets the boy out of the apartment, gets him to the ER. His vital signs crash. He has no heartbeat. They bring him back. They have to do a CAT scan. While in the while in the machine, he flatlines. He has no pulse. They revive him again. As the doctors are looking over this poor boy in the ER, everybody's frantic. You can imagine like the movies, everybody moving around, people everywhere, just commotion, yelling out all the different things that they're finding wrong with this poor boy that has just slipped and fell in the shower. So as they're yelling out, fractured skull, three broken ribs, his teeth are knocked out, burns to his skin. BB pellets lodged and embedded in his growing, his skin, and come to find out in his lungs. He's been punched ten times a day. Scrubbed, bound, gagged, locked in a small cabinet at the foot of his bed. He's been fed cat litter with cat feces. He's been fed his own puke. He's been fed rotten food. He has been tortured every day of his life for the past seven months until finally it had went too far. And he was killed. So on the 22nd, when EMS comes to pick him up, two days later, he's brain dead. And he dies May 24th. Now it doesn't take anybody long to figure out that hey there is a, a little bit more here what's going on than a fall and they bring the mother and the boyfriend in for questioning and after talking to them for a bit they start to, to talk about what they had been doing they were afraid that uh and this could should have went down and the d.a had said that uh it, they could have processed as a hate crime because of them saying that they thought the young boy was gay and they were doing this to, to keep him from being gay, things like that. But the way they had described it is they could have got more f- with how they charged it. Either way, hate crime, child abuse, capital murder, first-degree murder, torture. We're talking a 7-, 8-year-old boy that is bound, gagged, Shoved into a small, like a shoe claw, shoe, just like a little chest at the end of the bed. Beat. Teeth knocked out with a baseball bat. Burned with cigarettes. Scrubbed and rubbed his skin with brillo pads. Shot him with the BB gun. uh, Fed him cat litter with cat shit. And fucking puke. And damn raw meat, rotten meat. Can you you can't even wrap your head around a fucking monster that would do something to a child? An innocent child. What is going through this child's mind when the person that is supposed to protect and love him is not only abandoned and neglected him most of his life, but when it did come time To get his mother's attention. The attention he got from her and her live-in boyfriend. Were some of the most heinous, horrendous, and terrible things you could do to a human being. You wouldn't do things to an animal like this. this. I could not believe what I was reading. There is a Netflix documentary out. I suggest you watch it if you can. It's uh, terrible, really, and uh, it breaks my heart to even think about it. But I felt like that uh, this I, this case. I felt like I wanted to tell about this case. It 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 just absolutely blew my mind. So the underlying issue here is the the thing about the court the court document or the court proceedings and things like that. It's Fairly quick, they arrest them the next day. Uh, They go to court, and the boyfriend is found guilty of capital murder. The mother is found guilty of capital murder. She gets life in prison, no parole. He gets the death penalty. Okay, case closed. It's over. But what happened in this case sent shockwaves through the country. With pure protest, because not only had over sixty four complaints been lodged against these people and their abuse to their children, but there was eight separate investigations into these these two, or especially with the mother so where did the ball get dropped? where did this young boy Gabriel Fernandez slipped through the cracks if DCFS the department of children family services cannot protect the most vulnerable the most at risk if they can't see what's going on in a case like this what the hell can they see who is safe I read to you what they had found, what, what torturous events happened to this poor boy. How would, I mean, can you imagine how it would feel not to only endure the physical pain of going through what he went through, but more than that, the very moment that you might get a, a, a bit of rest, that you drift off and you start dreaming, and you dream that you're somewhere else, and you you dream... That you're in a happy or pleasant place. And the very moment you open your eyes, you're back in this living hell with these two pieces of fucking shit. So what should DCFS have done different? Uh, Well, the way I see it, quite a bit. I'll be right back. So, in the delusional minds of two people that beat and torture a child, they do all of this, and then when they see that it is, oh, they've went just too far, they pick up the phone and call 911. So, let's play devil's advocate, let's think in the minds of a horrendous, torturous, piece of shit criminal. So, am I thinking, well, let me call 911, because it looks like that this Boys slip and just fail. No, it doesn't. It he, he, it looks like he's been tortured for months, bruises, cuts, ligature marks. I mean, it's terrible. So, what emboldened? What what made them so emboldened that that they felt like they could make that call and everything be as you know as as it was? Well, one, in my opinion, they're pieces of shit. But the second thing is, when you've had 64 separate complaints and 8 open investigations and up until that point you've been rewarded with the the custody of your child and nothing has happened, then why in the hell would you think anything's going to happen? Why would you not think that they're just going to come out here, they're going to take him, They're going to take him at my word because, hey, that's what they've done up until this point, and everything will be, oh, just as it was. But thank God it wasn't that way. But I'm sure that's what emboldened him because that's the mind of a criminal. Obviously, if there's no consequences to small actions, and I'm not saying that this built up to this, but what I'm saying is in their mind, the beatings went Without being recognized or without being noticed, and every time someone come out, they just took them at their word and went on about their merry way. So why would they not do it this time? So their consequent their, their their actions were never checked. There was never consequences to the the beatings up to this point, and there was eight investigations, sixty four different complaints, school teachers, uh, security guards, anybody that seen the kid, know knew that something was wrong, and. Every time they come out, there was never a physical exam of Gabriel. No one ever sat him down and spoke to him. And uh, Xavier Cruz finally went out and visited the Palmdale apartment and uh, had actually learned of a burn that Gabriel had on his foot. And Cruz did not report the injury. What did Cruz do? He goes back and uh, gives old Uh, Mother Pearl a call and ask her out on a date the next day. And that is out of the court records the grandparents and uncle are suing the state of California, which the state of California should be sued. Now, I understand, and I've I've never been a, a social worker, I've never worked for DCFS. I'm sure the job is terrible with the things you see. I'm sure your caseload is ridiculous one of the four now what made this case different and what launched it into the atmosphere was that the da of this county jackie lacy decided that she was going to charge the four dcfs workers that were directly or supervisor or indirectly like supervisors we're going to charge them for falsifying documents and child abuse in this case the first time really in history that, that that social workers or DCFS workers have been charged in a case of neglect and child abuse. So Patricia Clement, 69, Stephanie Rodriguez, 34, was the two DCFS agents. And then, of course, the other one I'd mentioned uh, had not been involved in this. It was just a issue, one-time issue that they went out on uh, and went out to the home, the Xavier Cruz. But the four that was indicted for child abuse and falsifying documents, like I said, Patricia Clement, 69, Stephanie Rodriguez, 34. The supervisors were Gregory Merritt, 64, and Kevin Baum, 40. Now, I did read that uh, Gregory Merritt's caseload, once upon a time, was 280 cases. And that's a lot and i get it and that's that's not the case because here here's the thing so you're covered up and i'm sure i'm sure that they prioritize their caseload like with most vulnerable most likely to be you know abused in high risk situations so in my opinion if someone slips through the cracks you know like let's say that they didn't make it out there ever like the first time they ever were able to get out to to, to follow up on one of these complaints or, the, or, or to go out and visit the home of Gabriel Fernandez was was bef- right was after he died. They weren't able to make it there because within seven months, their caseload is so great, they weren't able to make it there. That's not the case. The very moment that his case was on their radar and they were physically going out to this home to look at the mother, to look at the child, they never done a physical exam. They never done anything other than take the word of this mother. A mother that had only had custody for months. So you can't say that the caseload was too much because when you're on that one particular case for that one day or that that three hours or whatever it might be, you have an obligation to do that job to the fullest of your ability to the fullest extent of what the law allows you, and you have an obligation to protect that child. I would have had more respect for these four. I'm not going to even loop them in with a whole bunch. I'm sure there's good ones out there. That if they just never made it out there because their caseload was so heavy, I would have had more respect for that than the fact that there was 64 complaints that there was eight open cases. Now, not all of those were Gabriel's cases, but all of those were Pearl Fernandez. So, the fact that she had had one child taken away, she had two other children in her custody that she had had reports on, cases on, people have come out apparently not investigated because those kids were still there, but I don't know why Gabriel was pinpointed for the torture that he endured. But it doesn't matter. DCFS owed Gabriel Fernandez. You know, it's sad enough that your flesh and blood, your mother, your mother, this poor boy's mother tortured him, had her boyfriend beat him. I don't know to what extent she actually put her hands on. The way they talked about the situation was that she was the puppet master that he was the enforcer. But then not only do they betray you, but the very people set in the situation to protect you from that, they don't even protect you. What a feeling of absolute betrayal. Betrayal. So like I was saying, now but sure you'd uh, DCFS, you, you would you would prioritize your caseload, and like and most likely this case here would have at least been in the top ten of really shitty situations. So, I feel if if DCFS was remotely doing their job, that that boy would have been with his grandmother. It would have been like I said different if a there was no prior incidents with 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 the mother, and b if the boy would have been. In his mother's care for any amount of time beforehand, but he wasn't. He was with his uncle and his grandmother for first seven years of his life. That should throw a flag. Air to the side of caution. If you're getting reports, pull the boy. Talk to the boy. Let him be examined. Put a a, a break in there. And you've got family members that had cared for this boy for seven years telling you these things. Don't just brush him off. You go out there. You don't do any physical exam of the boy. And then when you do finally talk to the boy, you threaten him with jail for lying. Take the mother's word. Roll on about your day. Ask her out on a date. Whatever it may be. Talk to him. Look him over. Pull him to the side. See what he's got to say. I mean, at least... Talk to him, And that's the point where the ball is not only dropped, it is the, someone has stuck a knife in the damn thing and, and let all the air out. Because I understand the caseload, but once this case pulled up on your docket for the day, then it was your obligation and responsibility to do your job that day. Now, you may have 279 other cases, but for that 30 minutes... You need to focus your attention on what the fuck you got going on right then. Excuse my language. It's sad. It's just it's i it's hard to even put into words. How does this even happen? How does it even happen? You know, it would have been better off for d c f s to have never even answered one of the damn complaints. Or even opened a damn investigation. Because at least it would have just looked like they were overworked and they just misplaced it. I would rather have incompetence of misplacing someone's file and not even knowing it would have made you look better if you didn't even know the boy existed. But the fact that he existed, the fact that you knew he existed, the fact that you had been on the property, the fact that you had talked to the mother, the fact that there are so many people telling you what what's going on here, that makes it... Neglect. You put yourself in... And I know that there's a 100,000 million good people out there that do this job. They do it well. They work their ass off. I'm not talking about you. But these four give you a really bad, bad rap here in this situation. And it's easy for me to talk about this in here because I'm not a, a social worker. But you put yourself in a position... You put yourself up on a pedestal because these children look to you for protection. They look to you for their safety. And it's you, you, are the face of the state of California when it comes to protecting these children. It's just sad. I mean, it really would have been better off for them to have no action. Be like who? Oh oh, we've never made it out there yet. Who? That would have been so much better. Because these people. Once the shit. Come out. They're changing documents. They're writing dates in. Where they said they went but they didn't. When they go out there. Oh the mother says this. The boy's lying. And it's they never even looked into it. And it's. That's the whole thing is sad it's terribly sad and what breaks my heart the most is because you you have that thought you could you almost you couldn't even imagine what it felt like what that little boy went through but you could almost just for a brief second feel that just sliver of pain and fear and terror that he felt and you think to yourself oh my god to endure that for months and to to go through what that little boy went through. If it doesn't break your heart, then someone should rip out what little bit of heart you have. This case will in, uh, inferior Oh, my God. I'm, I could be almost in tears one minute and be so damn angry in, a, in the next. You know, if a child can be beat to death with a cracked skull, BB pellets in their lungs growing, cuts, bruises, knocked out teeth tied up, uh, stored in a fucking small box at the foot of their bed, ligature marks. Um, If this is the one that goes unchecked, then God be with the unwanted and neglected children of California. I'll be right back. last few minutes of the podcast, I wanted to take a couple of bits of the Netflix docuseries. The first one here is Pearl Fernandez. She's the one using the profanities. Just listen to that. Then, it's about a minute and a half long. And then after that, there's just a brief one. That is uh, discussing a situation to where the teacher had made she had made numerous phone calls, and uh, this was a conversation that she had concerning one of the last ones that she had made. So uh, this case will it'll stick with you. It's it's almost haunting. Just thought of, of all of the the torture and the abuse and the neglect mixed in with a system that that failed him.
1: So what happened? And he said, "Oh well, I I fell playing or something, and I I just knew that that was not." You don't fall and get look like that. And so I said, "What really happened?" And then he got mad. I remember he said, "My mom shot me in the face with a BB gun." Okay? And I just remember being like, "Oh my gosh." And I said, "You know, why? Why did you lie? You know, why didn't you tell me that?" And he said, "Because when I tell you, and that lady comes, then I get hurt worse." that with the Yes. I assumed at that point. So every
0: time uh, it was every time
1: the social worker was get a different work? Yes. How did that make you feel? I didn't want to call. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know I could look at his face and, you know, not be able to assure him that that wasn't going to happen again when I couldn't say that. I was kind of stuck in a hard spot, not knowing what the best thing to do was to protect him. That day after school, it was hard because I was thinking maybe it's better to just not call. But I called. Anyways. The teacher calls and reports that he's come to school saying he's been shot with a BB gun. That is one of the times that's investigated by a medical professional. The social worker doesn't see any, he says it was an accident, so she walks away from that. Even if it was an accident, he would have needed medical attention. So there was no medical follow-up, even to the injuries that were acknowledged by the department. I don't know how many times or who uh, Jennifer Garcia called. And where the breakdown happened, I have no idea. But I will tell you, without a shadow of a doubt, if I knew a child was being abused like that, that child would not get out of my classroom. That
0: child would not go home.
1: was just there still, you know, that he came back, but he looked horrible. I mean, he had a blood, his eye was totally red to where there was no white showing on that part of his eye. His forehead had like skin that looked like it had peeled off. He said he fell off a bike and that he had scuffed his head on the ground, you know, and hit his eye. And the nurse already knew he supposedly had pink eye. The kids were like scared. They were like, (gasps) Whoa, what happened to you? I mean, he looked the worst I had ever seen. But he had been healing, too. Like, I knew he was out 13 days, so I knew that that was the healing version of those injuries. So I called, and I left Stephanie Rodriguez a message, and I just said, you know, he said he fell off a bike, and he looks horrible. I didn't even have to say more. It was just he looked horrible, and I never got a call back. the slot go, go, you give me a one